the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm your host, Cynthia Hyatt. I hope you had a very nice week, or at least a week that maybe you experienced some positivity. Maybe you experienced a God moment. Maybe you had a better interaction with someone that usually gives you difficulties. Who knows what? But I think I just want us to really continue to think about having hope and continuing to be hopeful people. So today, uh, in, in light of what we did last time, I kind of wanted to spend some time on this concept of the phoenix, the phoenix bird. And, you know, we all live in Phoenix, so that not all of us that are listening to the show, but we that live in Phoenix understand that the phoenix bird is this amazing icon that, you know, rose from the ashes and was better after it died by fire, rose from the ashes, and, and came back to life. So I want us to think about this idea about the phoenix and the rising again and the being better the second time around, or recognizing, even if we looked at it through a sports um, type of analogy, that the fourth quarter, the fourth quarter is really, in some ways, the only one that counts, right? And so when we think about the fourth quarter, I want you to think about this idea that, you know, we all have a locker room, Right. And I want you to ask yourself, who are your coaches? Who, who are you taking your cues from? Who, who's helping you reset? And, you know, Jesus didn't have good coaches, did he? Now, everyone needs a locker room time to regroup, re-energize, reorganize, so that we go back on the field, back on the field of life, better. And we keep giving our best version 
And so it's okay if we kind of say, you know, I just need to decompress a little bit. I need to get a reset, a restart. And so I don't want you to live your life as if you're in the stands. Or I don't want you to be just walking off the field, just saying, forget it. To heck with it. I'm not doing it anymore. This is stupid. Nothing ever works. So I want you to think about that. And I don't want you to live in the parking lot, you know, just having your life be a tailgate party. You're born for a reason. There's a point to you being here. So if you're in the locker room right now, remember that there are people out there in the stands waiting for you. They're wanting to cheer you on. See, the world is like a stadium. And so there's a reason that you were born, and God has a plan. And I want you to get out and play the game God has created you to do. The game he's destined you to play. So I want you to really hear this statement, which has helped me through the years, that God gave me. And he said, compete with myself, not with others. So I work really hard at not falling into the comparison game, the weighing and the measuring. You know, like, well, they, they do this better than I do. Well, I'm better at them, you know, than they are with this. And this is, it's really, really destructive because you have to remind yourself it's your game. You're the only one, it's you. You're the star of your life. And so you want to think about these other people. They have their own sport, whatever it is, and I don't know how well they're playing it. But they have their own stadium to play in as well. So I want you to think about this as we have talked, you know, this month about vision and the need for vision, and that people without vision have no hope, that people with no vision perish. They become unruly. They become um, where, where they don't know where they're going. So I want you to communicate the, the vision that you have out loud. That doesn't mean telling it to everybody. I want you to be, you know, <laughs> judicious about who you're sharing all of this with. But I want you to talk about it because one of the things that we know about the way God has created the universe is he spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light. And there was. This is why it's important for us to speak out loud what you're doing and what your hopes are, what your vision is, what your dreams are, what you're expecting, what you're looking forward to. Because remember when we've talked about the brain, <clears throat> and we know that, you know, the, the right side of our brain and the left side of our brain in the prefrontal lobe, when we're tw- by the time we're 24, they all three work together. And that our brain is just like a GPS. So your thoughts are like an address. So you and I both know when you put in an address into your GPS, it gives you so many different routes that you could take. And if you've ever tried to get an address out of the GPS or you keep saying reroute, 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 right? It's a lot of effort. So I want you to think about what am I speaking out loud? What am I telling myself? Because my brain will simply follow that direction. So be redefining your life, reevaluating it, redoing it. See, we want to always start with the designer of our life, the one who started the whole entire game that we are now living in. 
And that is in, that beautiful verse in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It says, "For I know, I formed you in your mother's womb. I've created you in the innermost parts. How beautifully and wonderfully made you are." That that's phenomenal. For God to say, the God of the universe to say, how beautifully and wonderfully made you are. That he was very glad he created you. So as we think about this, you know, I I really do like sports. I love to see people excel. I love to see people, you know, overcome and, you know, and and have a great comeback. And, And so I want us to talk about this idea about having a comeback. And that we want to have a comeback. We want to always be coming back. Until the day we pass, we don't want to quit our life. So the greatest comeback of all times, I love to tell people this story. This was actually 18 years ago. And this was in Sports Illustrated magazine. Was covering um, the Baseball World Series in which Arizona Diamondbacks recovered from a slump to defeat the New York Yankees in the last inning of the final game. And it started the editors thinking about the greatest comebacks in history. So they produced their list of the top 10 comebacks of all time. And this is amazing. You know, Sports Illustrated list, it was a very eclectic one. And Elvis Presley was on it as a result of his TV special in 1968 that revived his sagging career. Muhammad Ali made the list when he returned from his forced seven-year exile of boxing and reclaimed the world championship. And Harry Truman made the cut owing to his 1948 victory over Thomas Dewey when all the polls had him losing by a huge margin. We, they had Michael Jordan. You know, he gave up baseball and returned to his f- first love of ra- round ball in a, in a, in a fa- and found a, spo- a spot on top of the 10 comebacks in history. So even humanity was on the list. It talked about after recovering from the Black Plague of the 14th century when 25 million Europeans died. So number two of the all-time greatest comebacks was Japan and Germany devastated by World War II, but becoming world economic powers within a generation. And now I really, I, I hope you've been waiting for this. Are you ready for this? The number one greatest comeback of all times, as named by the editors of Sports Illustrated magazine in November 12, 2001, that issue, was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stuns Romans, defies critics by his resurrection from the grave. I, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was amazed. This wasn't Christianity Today magazine. This was a men's sports publication, right? Secular. And the fact that these writers who, are, you know, generally are going to tiptoe around religious things and apologize, you know, when a sports figure gives the, you know, gives God some credit— Here they were proclaiming Jesus' victory over death as the most impressive comeback of all the ages. I I mean, it it was so very refreshing for me and very motivating. So when you think about this, you know, I, I have to say top 10 comebacks of all time because there's yet another comeback in the offing, one that's going to dwarf everything else. And that is when Jesus comes back. 
And this is huge. Jesus Christ is coming back. So if you think the first time was spectacular with the angels and the stars and the magi and getting ready, you know, just get ready to be shocked because when he comes back, this is going to be a big deal. This is going to be something that is going to rock the entire universe. And so I love the fact that this time when Jesus comes back, he's not going to slip quietly in some out-of-town little place in a little hovel in a little manger. I mean, we're told that every knee's going to bow. So it staggers the imagination that every person will stand before the returning Christ and report in. I mean, it, it's staggering to me. So when I think about the fact that Sports Illustrated had Jesus Christ with the greatest comeback in all of recorded history. So that really gives us yet another example that Jesus never asks us to do anything he hasn't already done. He knows exactly what it means to have to come back. He knows exactly what it means to show up to something that you don't think you're going to win, that you're not sure, but you're doing it because you know it's the right thing. And he is the greatest comeback. So join me in the next segment as we talk more about the phoenix in you and this rising again that we need to do and showing up in our own life. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and we are talking about the Phoenix Bird and greatest comebacks of all times. And the Jesus Christ was listed in Sports Illustrated in uh, 2001, in November 2001, as the greatest comeback of all times. He rose from the dead. And that's exactly what the Phoenix Bird does. And we who live here in Phoenix can really use that to inspire us. Because, see, in Greek mythology, a phoenix is a long-lived bird that cyclically regenerates and is, and is reborn. So it's associated with the sun because it obtains new life by rising, rising from the ashes, right? And in some, some sources say the phoenix dies in a show of flames and combustion, although there's other sources that claim that the legendary bird dies and simply decomposes before it's born again. Either way, it's magnificent. It's phenomenal. So it's about, it's this symbolizing renewal and, and you know, symbolizing the, the, the beginning, a new beginning, the overcoming, the rising above, the resurrection. And so it's interesting that Greek mythology had already started talking about the phoenix bird before Jesus showed up and, and that this is always how God does this. He's always showing up. And this is why when we are talking about the fourth quarter is the only one that counts. I want you to think about the first three quarters of your life, right? Well, maybe they weren't played well. Maybe you learned, <clears throat> hopefully. Maybe there's lots of mistakes that you make. Maybe you were humiliated as a, you know, at some point in your life. But you still need to be like the phoenix, like Christ, and resurrect. Come back. Come back. If you've had a mistake, if you've had a major setback, you know, anyone that's ever done anything big, 
has had a list of incredible failures and mistakes, and some that are mortifying. Some are so embarrassing. And so this is what I want you to think about. I want you to say, you know, what? Th- there is a phoenix in me because Christ lives in me. And he's wanting me to rise again. After every moment, every day, every year, every time the sun comes up, <clears throat> I need to rise with it. I need to walk into my day and do that day to the best of my ability. So when I was thinking about this idea of the phoenix in you or, excuse me, the phoenix in me, I really got this idea about God wanting us to truly live. He wants us truly living, not walking dead. And I know I've had times in my life when I've been like the walking dead, where I just didn't want to care anymore. I didn't want to try anymore. I just was over all of it. I just thought, forget it. Why, what's, what's the point of trying? Or I failed myself so miserably I was embarrassed or I was disgusted with myself, and so I just thought, no, I'm done. I'm out. But that's never okay with God. That's never okay with God. He understands that we may have to sequester ourselves. He may understand that we have to be in the tomb like Jesus was in the tomb, but Jesus rose again. So the greatest comeback of all times was Jesus Christ. So I want you to ask yourself, and this is part of it. This is a book I wrote, and it says, the book is called God Wants You Truly Living, Not Walking Dead. And this is where God gave me some of these insights that really helped me. And it was, at a very, it was a difficult time in my life. It really was. And <laughs> I thought it was a bad enough time in my life, but writing the book seriously almost killed me. It was a tough book to write. But God gave me some great insights. And one of the things that he really impressed upon me was Luke chapter 17, verse 33. And it says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. And so what that did was that gave me this great saying that is what has to die in order for you to live. See, this is this is this this crazy kind of contradiction of life and death that Jesus had to die in order to rise again. So there are some things in my life that might have to die in order for me to rise to some other occasion, rise to some other accomplishment, rise to some other way of living or knowing new people or new endeavors. And so sometimes I have to say to myself, you know, Something might need to die. And that's where he gave me this really interesting way of thinking about this. When I thought about, you know, what really has to die in order for me to live? And so he gave me Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, which is some, a favorite memory verse of mine. And it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, either are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways bigger than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I thought, you know, that that is like God. He's saying, listen, when I say to you that something has to die in order for you to live, 
and it looks like I'm doing everything upside down, inside out, and backwards, that may be true because my thoughts aren't like your thoughts. I don't do things the way you do things. I'm so much higher than what you could ever conceive of, than what you can even dream of. And so we have John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we have to really recognize that there is a process here. And so there, there's this, this whole, you know, issue of change, Right. And change is tough, even sometimes good change. Good change even can be horribly stressful. You know, it's that idea that, you know, people want to lose weight and they lose the weight and then it's kind of stressful because maybe there's more expected of them. Maybe they have to work more and make more money to buy more clothes. Whatever it is that that made this, oh my gosh, I thought this was going to be the best thing that ever happened, and they find out that there might be some things that were a little uncomfortable that they didn't anticipate. So when we are really choosing to rise again, to play the game, to run out onto the field, to show up and do our life, we have to recognize that some things can't come with us because they'll maybe hold us back. Maybe they'll compromise us. It's kind of like, what, what, wouldn't it be ridiculous to see, see you know, a, a football quarterback running out onto the field with a cigarette in his mouth? How crazy would that be? It's very distracting for him, for once. It certainly doesn't help him athletically. But it also steals from him his ability to think about what he's really supposed to be doing in the game. It's a distraction. So I must be willing to give up what I am in order to become what I will be. And that was written by Albert Einstein. So he understood this process, that I have to give up what I am or think I am or want to be in order to become what I really will be, could be, should be, would be, ought to be. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about the three types of change. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me and for all your support, you know, on social media and, and uh, Internet, all of those different things. I appreciate that so, so very much. So we are talking today about the fourth quarter and you being the player that you need to be in your own life and running out onto the field and playing the game that God has given you. And he's wanting you to win. And he also is realizing that there might be some things you need to stop doing in order to win your game. There may be some things you need to die to in order to win the game. And so we talk about these three types of changes, and there's the and these these are stress inducing. So any therapist that you would talk to knows that change, even if it's a great change, is stressful. So we have the change that we generate, 
And this is usually the least stressful because we're the ones that started the process. It doesn't mean that we know everything that may have to happen in that process. We might have some things that shock us or surprise us or overwhelm us. But we at least had some control over the fact that we chose to start the change. And then we have this other change that is inevitable. And that's aging, right? That's the fact that summer's going to end and fall will come. And so change, the inevitability of change, even though it's painful, we still kind of know it's coming and we can anticipate it. So this last change that I'm going to talk to you about is the most stressful of them all. And that is the change that is thrust upon us. That's the one that no one asked my permission about. No one consulted me on. That just happened to me and I didn't even get time to prepare. And now I have to somehow contend with it. So what I want you to think about is, Sometimes the change that is thrust upon us is because there was a change that we were supposed to make and we resisted. So it was thrust upon us. Maybe there's a change that is thrust upon us because we haven't been paying attention to what's inevitable. So I want you to think about this idea that, you know, humans, we love to be in control. And we even like the illusion of control. So one of the ways that you can feel like you have more control is that you choose. You say to yourself, I I am going to generate the necessary changes before they're thrust upon me. I'm going to generate the necessary changes before the inevitable occurs and I wasn't prepared for it. It's kind of like the student that waits till the last week of school to get his homework in, right? Inevitably, the school, you know, that year ends. He's got to have it all done. So this is where you want to think about, if I want to make these things easier on myself, then I need to to work harder at doing the changes that I need to do before they are thrust upon me. So when we think about this idea, that, and I'm going to give you another saying by Albert Einstein, and Albert Einstein said, God always takes the simplest way. And that is a trust issue that we're going to have with God. Because why would God complicate it unnecessarily? It's already hard enough for all of us. So we can trust that God is really doing things the simplest way possible. So this dying to self, right, living a crucified life is not easy. But it is truly the simplest way to having the resurrected life, right? So think, if you've ever had to contend with someone you love dying or an animal dying and there's nothing you can do about it and they're fighting it and they're fighting against it and it's inevitably going to happen. This is where you want to think about, this is the wisdom that God gives me about walking out my own life. That I can either resist it refuse it, judge it, make it harder, or I can simply accept and say, God, you're going to be with me through this whole entire change. However this looks, you will not leave me. You will be with me on the other side. (coughs) 
And so this is important as we look at our daily life and we look at our life as an adult. We look at the life of our relationships. We look at the life of our jobs. Whatever the thing is that you say to yourself, how can I make sure I'm dying to the right things so that this thing doesn't actually kill me? And this is where we think that where where you want to think about this idea of Jesus that he so willingly went to the cross. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment as we talk more about what has to die in order for you to truly live. Well, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you can go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com and listen to the most recent shows right from the website or go to your favorite podcast servers. And we are on most of those as well. So thank you so much again for listening to this particular show because I think it's very timely as we talked last week about hope and vision and, and that those are things we do not want to let die ever. And so when we're thinking about this idea about the phoenix in you, the phoenix in me, and what has to die in order for me to live? What has to die in my life? Is it judgment, prejudice, um, lifestyle habits? Is it, you know, for me, one of the things that had to die for me was a dream. And it really hurt my feelings from God. He really hurt my feelings. And it's the best thing I ever did, but I didn't do it as well as I would like to have, have done it. And I really, really resisted it. I did not want that dream to die. And the thing that was so amazing about it, now that I'm on the other side, is I'm so glad that dream died because he gave me such a better life than I could ever dream of. But I didn't know it at the time. And it was tough. So that was part of the inspiration for me writing this book, this God Wants You Truly Living, Not Walking Dead. And so it's learning what has to die in order for me to live. So I gave you that quote by Albert Einstein. He said, God always takes the simplest way. So I want to read you this verse out of Luke chapter 17, verse 33. It says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you let your life go, you'll save it. See, Jesus was willing to lose his life entirely to carry out his purpose. And imagine having to say to the Father, Oh my gosh, if there's any other way, if there's any other way. That's what he said to God. He's like, You're my Father. You want me to die? I'm going to be killed? And he says, God, if there's any other way. But he trusted his father. So what has to die in order for you to live? I mean, this hit me like a ton of bricks when God was giving me these insights. Because dying is permanent. See, death ends something that was once alive and even thriving, and it doesn't come back. Yet not all things that live in us are really meant to be there. They might not all be a part of our purpose. I mean, I'm thinking of addictions, unhealthy attitudes, a resistance to change, but even some good things. 
like higher education, um, a marriage, having children. You know, we may think that those are a part of our life and our purpose, and we may need to trust God if he says no. And no is a, is a tough, tough word. That's why I did that one show that says, you know, no, your best, you know, no, make no your best friend. Because the better I learn the word no, the easier my life is. So you may think that these, you know, that, that something's stifling a part of you and that it's meant to live and it's meant to thrive and it's, a, it's to fulfill God's plan. But what you want to think about is there must be a dying process for us to truly live. And it's not something we can do on our own. But we have to remember that our God is so great. He's gone before us. He knows the way. And he doesn't grow tired. And he understands that suffering through death produces life. And if there was another way, he would have found it. And he also promises us comfort through suffering. And he tells us in Psalms 138.8 that the Lord will fulfill the purpose for me. See, God, God doesn't ask us to do this by ourselves, And he doesn't say, yeah, well, knock yourself out. I hope it works. He's with us every step of the way. And so he's promising us in Psalms 23, 4, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. So please note that shadows can't happen without light. So God shines while we are in dark places so that we may see the why and the how as well as the way. So when we think about these different types of deaths, we have this, the death of a good thing in order for the best thing. So the best thing is usually what the person is destined or created to do. The second one is the death of the thing that is killing me. You know, and the death of the thing that is killing me is many times the hardest one to kill, to really let die. And this is why it's really difficult. See, realize that if the first thing isn't allowed or encouraged to die, that, you know, the, the, the thing that has to die in order for me to live, then it will most likely kill the real me. It's like a parasite. And see, the second one can't happen many times if we don't let the first occur. So if you look closely, you'll notice that you see some of these examples of both at various times in your life. So your challenge is to allow God to guide you through your own unique dying process that you can come into the abundant life that God died for all of us to have. Now, I know you're saying to yourself, wow, Cynthia, this isn't a very uplifting show today. (laughs) And I really get that. And I know that this, when I wrote this book, it was so tough, but it's been so revolutionizing to me and to so many people that have put these, these concepts into practice. And so we know that God's ways are not our ways. We know his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so this is what God says to us in Isaiah chapter 55. This is 8 and 9. He says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. Just as rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they've watered the earth, doing the work of making things grow and blossom, 
producing seed for farmers, and food, right? God is saying, I have to do the completed work in you. I will complete the good work I began in you. So when we think about this, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of, what, what am I resisting? Is it the death of a good thing for the better? Am I, am I wanting to have both? And so I'm saying to God, I don't want to grow up because I enjoy a childhood. I, I love this childhood, but I want all the adult things of life, but I don't want to be an adult. Is it the death of the thing that's killing you? Is it an addiction that you're struggling with? Is it a, is it a bad relationship that you continue to participate in knowing that it, it is really, truly harming your soul. So when you think about this, this that, that verse in Galatians 2.20 where it says, you know, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live is, is in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God. So this is what I do. I tell myself this little saying that God gave me. I use my free will to die to self-will to do God's will. And that has so served me through time. It has helped me to reset in different moments. It has helped me to really make hard decisions and accept things that, that I really did not want to accept. That I used my free will not to do my will. I use my free will to do God's will. And the way I do that is I die to my self-will. So we've talked about the grief and loss process on this show before, and so I'm not going to talk about a lot of that today. Because I want to get to this idea that, there, that God talks about this idea that there will be weeping. And there are things that deserve to be cried over. Even if it was a bad thing. I, I say to, to clients many times when I work with them uh, on addictions, and I say, you know, you're going to miss it. You're attached to it. You're going to be sad. And it's the same thing with, with a very toxic relationship. We may be relieved to not have all that chaos and all that hurt and all that overwhelm. But we still may miss the person or at least the idea of who we thought they were. And so God tells us in Revelations chapter 21, he said, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The new has come. So you see, we can't have the new thing if we keep holding on to the old thing. So here's a prayer that I'm going to give you that God gave me. And this is the only prayer I, I have ever needed. And, and it really encompasses everything. And I say to God, your will, your way, always. Amen. And so when I'm trying to make a decision, when I'm resisting something that I know that I should do, that I could do, I ought to do, whatever it may be, if I don't know what to do, I say, God, I just want your will. I want your will, your way, always. And it helps to kind of recenter me 
It helps me to, to regroup. It helps me to get back on, on, on the path. And it also helps me to let go of things and not have those grasping, greedy hands, right? So don't fear or be afraid of what has to die. God only wants the things to die that are killing you, your calling or your destiny. The destiny he created for your life, the one when he knit you together in your mother's womb. See, I discovered this thought the first time I spoke in Africa, and I read the story of Lazarus. And what a gift it actually was for Lazarus and his entire community. And the new community was better than it ever was before, and they were stronger because of his death. And then he resurrected. So what you might find is that if, if you allow something to die... God may bring it back in the version it was originally supposed to be. So we don't want to be afraid of change because change and death are inevitable. Life is a choice. And you only choose life if you're willing to accept change and die to the right thing at the right time. So I appreciate so much you listening today. And and I know that this isn't always... You know, one of the easiest shows um, to listen to, sometimes it's maybe a little bit more uplifting than others, but this is really an important topic. So I've had things in my life that needed to die. And sometimes I think I killed them and they ended up being like a cockroach and it mutated (laughs) into something else and it wouldn't give up because that's what this life is all about. It's the dying process with the ultimate victory of living eternally. Thus... The enemy cannot steal, kill, or destroy. This is the ultimate antidote against any enemy, is that you are willing to die in order to live again. So hey, play the game of your life. Have the greatest comeback of all time. Continue to be the version of you that God intended for you to be. And have a blessed week. I'll talk to you next week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from our website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be-